Hello and welcome to the Story Blender. I'm Stephen James, and this is where great storytellers share the secrets of great storytelling. Today's guest has a Ph.D. from UC Berkeley in theoretical physics and has written six novels and won two Christie Awards for excellence in Christian fiction. Library Journal has called him one of the best authors of biblical fiction today. Randy Ingermanson has developed an approach to writing novels called the Snowflake Method, making him the Snowflake Guy, otherwise known as America's Mad Professor of Fiction Writing. He has taught at numerous writing conferences over the years and publishes the free monthly Advanced Fiction Writing e-zine. Randy, thanks so much for joining me today. Stephen, thanks for having me on your show. It's a real honor to be on your podcast. I appreciate that. It was great to meet you. Um, earlier this summer, we were out in Oregon together. I think those are your stomping grounds, and I'd come yeah. up for a conference. It was really fun. It was, uh, it was, I remember when we went out one night to the restaurant, and you said to the guy, you're like, all right, I'm going to order a drink that's really stiff, and really, I don't even know if you're going to have it on tap. He's like, okay, what? And you said, no, this is a really rare drink. And all of a sudden he's like, okay, I don't know, maybe we'll have it. And you're like, milk. And the guy's face was hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, I do that occasionally. Um, it kind of freaks them out sometimes. Yeah, that was fun. So I got to ask handle you. For... my action either. They, they, sometimes they just don't have milk. You know, so I, I have to set them up like that. Um, uh, I was going to say, first of all, I just have to ask, how does a theoretical physicist um, get into novel writing? I mean, how did you become an expert at both novel writing and theoretical physics? Very carefully, as they say. <laughs> yeah, I guess, you know, uh, when, when you're in grade school, you don't know what you're going to get a Ph.D. in, right? Yeah, or you don't know what you're, what you're going to be in life. So yeah, I mean, I most of us don't think we're going to get a Ph.D. when yeah. we're in grade school. But. Yeah, neither did I. Uh, I didn't even know that there was such a thing. But, you know, I just was interested in lots of things. So, like, when I was four, you know, my dream in life, this is what I wanted to be, was a garbage man. You know, <laughs> and they get to wear the cool gloves and, 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 and load, you know, drive around in this truck and stuff. But then, you know, I got older and I'd start reading books on, you know, King Tut and archaeology. I wanted to be an archaeologist. Oh, and then, sure. You know, like in, in, in seventh grade, I, I came across this book in the library on um, the World Series that, in the year 2000. Now, this was 1970 when I was in seventh grade. Okay. okay. And so I was talking about this, some futuristic thing, and they had players from Jupiter and stuff, and... And uh, it was a really outlandish story about, you know, doing physically things that were very, very difficult. But they explained in great detail the physics of baseball. Okay. And I was interested in baseball at the time. And so I got really interested in, wow, you can understand, um, you can understand baseball in terms of this weird thing, physics. Right, and then yeah, you know, sure. as I got into high school, I, I really enjoyed reading stories, and I really enjoyed science, and I just was not clear on the concept that you had to do just one thing in in life. You know, I thought you could do sure. a little of this and a little of that. So I was very good in in math and and in in science, and I wound up you know majoring in uh, math and physics in in college. I wanted to major in a bunch more things, but you know. They kind of uh, told me I had to focus. So I, I, I did, you know, and I did, you know, I, I wound up getting into graduate school, much to my astonishment, and you know, went to UC Berkeley and and you know, started working on my PhD. But you know, I was just really interested in history hmm. and and in fiction, and I was, you know, I, I was reading spy novels a lot. Sure. And Tom Clancy and Grisham and stuff. And at a certain point in my life, I go, man, this. I was reading about you know history of first century Jerusalem and all that, and the, the destruction of the temple and stuff. And, and at a certain point, I realized, you know what I want to do? This would be really cool, man. This would sell a lot of copies. I want to be the the Tom Clancy. Of first century Jerusalem fiction. That's yeah, a very specific don't, don't, goal. 
don't fall off your chair laughing. I mean, that's, that's kind of an, an idiotic goal in life, if you think about it, because, I mean, what's the market for that, right? But I just decided, wouldn't it be cool if I, if I could do that, if I could, you know, make this history stuff that I find interesting, uh, interesting to, you know, uh, normal people, you know, normal, normal people, people sure. being someone not like me, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I just started writing, and... Uh, you know, remarkably enough, uh, you know, I waited till I got out of graduate school before I started writing, but I was, I was, you know, reading up on it. But, um, you know, after I escaped grad school and, and, uh, did a postdoc and stuff and then went and got a, a job in private industry, I started writing and it only took about 10 years to, yeah, leech all the bad writing habits that you learn in physics uh, out of you. <laughs> you know, the, the, in in physics they teach you to tell, don't show. <laughs> you know, any academic writing they they teach you all the bad habits of writing, right? In passive yeah, ways, no, it's not active ways. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, 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 anyway, I uh, believe it or not, I actually sold, you know, a series of novels set in first century Jerusalem that were suspense novels. So I did what I wanted to do. I, I don't know if I sold at the level of, I, I'm sure I didn't sell at the level of Tom Clancy, but I did sure. what I wanted to do. Yeah. And anyway, so you asked, that's the, the long story. It, it's kind of crazy. It's kind of insane. No normal, rational person would have done that. <laughs> but, you know, no one ever accused me of being... <laughs> normal or rational or anything like that. Um, no, I think that's neat because it gives people a little bit of a view into your mind, you know, and how it works. And and I love that you pursued your uh, your interests or your passion with story, even as you know you had this private sector job and with physicists, uh, with with physics and so on. That um, I mean. You know, Randy, it's like um, everybody has a variety of passions and interests and stuff, and I think it's great that you were able to, you know, branch out and pursue writing. Um, and was it during your your graduate time, um, I think you'd mentioned something to me, that that's when you came up with some of the principles that end up making their way into the snowflake method of writing. Yeah, it, it actually goes back uh, to like seventh grade. Oh wow! So yeah, we had just moved to a, a new school. It, my dad was uh, in the army, so we had moved to Germany from from the U.S. And it was a new school, and we had an English teacher who was bound and determined to teach us how to write a paragraph. Uh, okay. I just could not get it, you know. And so I'd turn in my paragraph, and it was awful. And she'd it, 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 it send it back, and I had to read it, redo it again. And after a while, I realized. Okay, a paragraph, to write a good paragraph, all you have to do is write like five sentences. Yeah, the first sentence is like, here's what I'm going to tell you, and then sure. the next few sentences are, I tell you, and then in the last sentence, I tell you what I told you. Okay, so there's like, there's a beginning, and there's a middle, of, and an end, but now that breaks down the problem from a paragraph, which is, you know, a lot. It might be 50 or 100 words. That breaks it down to like five sentences. And sentences are a smaller problem. Yeah. So when it came time for me to inflict a, a PhD thesis on the world, I had this <laughs> idea, and I go, okay, all right, I got to, um, I got to write this thing, and I, you know, I only got a few months left here in the program. I need to get it in gear and, and do this thing. So I, I took out a piece of paper and I just kind of wrote down, okay, here's the main idea for the PhD thesis. And then here's like three things that I'll pursue um, to um, sort of elaborate on that. And for each of those, I'll sort of break those down a little bit. And before you know it, I had like 12 chapters outlined. I forget exactly how many sure. you know, main sections in, in the, uh, the thesis. And I hit a whole page, and it told me, here's the map. And then when it came time to write each of those, I would say, okay, What's going to go into this? All right, I need to have like an introductory paragraph to explain this, and then I need to kind of elaborate on it. So I was just dividing and conquering the problem instead of one. Yeah, a PhD thesis, that's a big project, right? Sure. But I just broke it down into smaller projects and smaller projects until I got to the point where, okay, I know how to do each of these steps now, so I'll just do those. 
And so I actually wrote the first draft of the thesis. If if my memory is right, I think I wrote it in like a month or so. Oh wow! And, and then I you know spent time editing it and and things, and it took you know several months to to get it done. But I just thought, well, this is the obvious. Well, I bet everyone writes it like this, and I was just kind of slow to figure it out, you know, in seventh uh-huh. grade. And, and I bet everyone does it this way. They must, right? Because we we all assume that everyone else thinks the same way we do, at least when yeah. we're young and, and ignorant, <laughs> before we realize that there are different people who think, you know, in different ways, sure. whose brains are just wired differently. So when I w- went to write a novel, I just kind of broke it down. Okay, what's the story about? In one sentence, what's the story about? And then can I expand that to like a paragraph? And then can I expand each of those, you know, sentences in the paragraph to another paragraph? And to me, it seemed at the time like, well, this is the way everyone does it. <laughs> and I know that's not the way you do it. Uh, or, or, you know, I have many friends who, who do it in, in, in other ways. Uh, but this is the way that worked for me. Sure. Um, so, anyway. So I um, know that your website page, with the with the kind of the snowflake method of landing page for it, has been viewed more than six million times over the years. That a thousand times a day, people click to that website. And I, I was thinking, besides the flattering picture of you there on the page, <laughs> much younger version of me. <laughs> what do you think attracts people to this page and this method that you have? that you have laid out? Um, you know, I never expected to write anything that would be viewed six million times. I think it's just that a lot of people really click with that. And yeah. the, the, the central message of that page, if I can sort of boil it down to what do people take away from that emotionally when they read that page, is they go, yes, I can do this. I can write a novel. I could write a novel and get published this makes sense to me. Now, yeah. you should understand, there are people who read that and go, oh my gosh, I could never do that. That's way too complicated. I would hate that. Okay, people who respond emotionally in that way, and that is an emotional response, they should not use the snowflake method. <laughs> but people who read it and go, oh my Lord, this opens my eyes. This gives me hope. Those are the people who should use the snowflake method because they're the ones who are going to benefit from it. They're the ones whose brains are wired like me. Yeah, no, that makes sense, so, you know. And so there's talk just is, a lot of people like that, apparently. <laughs> apparently there are. Yeah, so talk us through a little bit for those who aren't familiar with it. By now I'm sure they're saying, well, what exactly besides breaking down, you know, the big project into bite-sized pieces, what are some of the keys to implementing this idea that you've come up with, the snowflake method, toward uh, constructing you know, a story or a novel? Sure. So I like to start with, well, what's the central idea of the novel? Um, if I could boil it, it you know, if I should ever uh, be on the New York Times bestseller list, and you know, they always have like one sentence that summarizes what the story is about, uh-huh. uh, what would the New York Times, how would they summarize my story? So I'm trying to find that. And it's maybe 10, 15, 20 words, maybe 25 if you're going to stretch it. But uh, what, you know, what's the story? So for my first novel, which got published, which was you know, the, a time travel novel back to ancient Jerusalem featuring you know, a couple of physicists and a, uh, a, a female Jewish archaeology student. Okay, um, here's the sentence. A rogue physicist travels back in time to kill the Apostle Paul. Okay, now, for some people, when they hear that idea, they go, Yawn, what's on the next channel? I don't care. Okay, uh, turn the page. But some people go, oh, that actually sounds interesting. Yeah. Okay, so what does that sentence do for me? I, you know, if, if I'm at a book signing and someone asks me, what's your book about, I don't have to talk for 15 minutes and try to come up with something new. I just have to have this one sentence memorized. A rogue physicist travels back in time to kill the Apostle Paul. If they go, whoa, you know, where's the bathroom, then I know that they're not in my target audience. But if they say, <laughs> if they say tell me more, 
okay, now I can tell them more. So this, the, the one-sentence summary is, is wonderful for all of life. Once you've, once you've got that down, you can tell it to an editor, and they'll say either, you know, my, look at the time, or tell me more. Yeah. And, and so it serves as a, a sifting tool to find your target audience for you quickly. Uh, you don't have to spend 15 minutes talking to an editor uh, uh, and then discover that, you know, you lost them after the first five words. You just have to trot out one sentence and wait for a response. And, see, fiction, fiction writing is all about looking for your target audience. You know, no matter what kind of lame brain story you write, there's someone in the world who wants to read it, right? <laughs> someone in the world so, wants right? to read my story about a physicist traveling back in time, right? And some people don't. And so um, this is a great marketing tool, actually, because now you can, you can use this to find your target audience, and you only then market to people in your target audience. And, and now you understand who your target audience is. Your, your target audience is, first of all, people who care about time travel and people who care about you know, ancient Jerusalem and people who might you know, have some skin in the game as far as whether the Apostle Paul lives or dies. Yeah. Okay? Some people just don't care about any of that. Well, that's great. Not, not no. your target audience. Not your target audience. It's nothing personal. They're just not in your target audience. Okay? But people who are now suddenly get excited, and now you've got license to tell them a bit more. Now you can tell them um, maybe a paragraph, maybe you five sentences, right? And remember what I learned in seventh grade. A paragraph is like five sentences where you, you know, uh, give, introduce things and then talk for a little bit and then wrap things up. A beginning and a middle, and an end. So yeah. step one of the snowflake method is just you give yourself an hour. That's the budget. You've got an hour, and you have to come up with 10 or 15 or 20 words that summarizes your story. Okay, now some people say, an hour? Why are you taking an hour to write just 15 words? That's not very good uh, <laughs> uh, production rate. Well, it is if you're going to use it for the rest of the life of that book, um, to uh, you know, as a marketing tool to hook your editor, to hook an agent, to hook you know uh, readers wandering into bookstores who look at the back cover copy and they go, oh, this is about a physicist traveling back in time to kill the apostle Paul. Yeah, that's good. Okay, uh, or or you know, uh, everywhere that you write marketing copy on your Amazon page, your product description, um, you you know what it is that's, that's hooking people. So that's what the one-sentence summary is for. But then you have to expand that out a bit, right? Because the snowflake idea is all about dividing and conquering. Hmm. Uh, okay? So uh, you know, in the next step, which is step two, you expand it to a paragraph. Um, so I like to have you know, one sentence that um, pretty much um, explains sort of the, the story setup, Okay, and then I have three more sentences. One that, uh, uh, well, e each of the, the, the next three sentences ends in a basic disaster, okay? Okay. And, you know, novels are disaster-driven. There's a disaster typically at the one-quarter mark, at the one-half mark, and at the three-quarters mark. And those are the sort of the story transitions in um, yeah, some people call it the three-act structure. Some people call it the four-act structure, but they're the same thing. <laughs> okay, and I don't know. Uh, I don't know if you care that much about the three-act structure or the four-act structure, but uh, your novels have it. You know, okay. that. <laughs> now um, that's fairly interesting because I don't write in three or four-act structures. So, so I think some of my books have you know. Nine acts. Some have five. Uh, some have uh -huh. five. You know, yeah. four. Yeah. One. The one I'm writing right now has two. So, uh -huh. so I think it can have three or four. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. But, yeah. I, I, I would bet that if I sat down with Synapse, I could find a major turning point at roughly the 50% mark in the story, in which your your lead character. I'm trying to remember what was her name. Um, oh, Castro. Yeah, Castro. Your lead character changes her approach to the problem she's trying to solve. Okay, that would, ha that would happen roughly at the midpoint of the story. And uh, 
roughly at the 25% mark, she does something bad happens that she commits to the story. Now, it's been several months since I read Synapse. Oh, sure. Uh, so yeah. I couldn't pick out the exact disaster, but I could go find something there. And at the three-quarters mark, I think she was... I won't even mention what happens at the three-quarters mark. <laughs> but uh, something happens that forces her and the other characters to commit to an ending. Okay, that's just a three-act structure. And people, right. you know, Western, uh, Western readers are sort of cued to, to, to notice those sort of transitional disaster points, even if the author didn't consciously put them in. Uh, because that's just the way Western, you know, Western readers uh, uh, sort of uh, uh, categorize, you know, what's happening in the story. Oh, we're getting into the ending. They finally committed to a final showdown. You know, Luke Skywalker has has made it to the Rebel planet, but the Death Star has followed them, and now something horrible is going to happen. We have 30 minutes left in the movie, and there's going to be a final battle, and either the Death Star will be standing and the rebel planet will be destroyed at the end of this movie or vice versa the rebel planet will still be there and the death star is going to be destroyed those are the only two options we have now committed to the ending that happens right at the three quarters mark in um in star wars the original um star wars movie uh-huh. and what happened at the one quarter mark uh, Luke goes home and finds his aunt and uncle dead, and the stormtroopers are searching for him. He has to get off the planet. He has to commit to the story. Now, uh, people don't sit there with their watches saying, hey, we're 30 minutes into the movie, we're, we're, we're due for the first disaster, and the lead character has to commit to the story. But when that happens, they go, okay, I know where the story's going now. And, and they were waiting for it, actually. Uh, at 30 minutes into the movie Die Hard, Bruce Willis suddenly, you know, gunfire breaks out in the skyscraper, and Bruce Willis is standing there barefoot and realizes that uh, there are terrorists in the building, and he's the only man with a gun uh, who can stop them. Okay, so we're we're primed for that, whether or not the author thinks or cares about the story structure. There's always story structure there. It's, it's in your it's in your blood. It's in your blood. <laughs> well, we won't. We don't need to debate that right now. But I'm really interested in, you know, in in Randy in um, the next step. So, uh-huh. so if readers or, or if uh, the author is looking at it in terms of three or four acts, uh-huh. what? Um, so, so they write their paragraph out and then. Right. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. And so now you've got a paragraph, and so. Uh, basically, it's going to tell you things like, here's the story set up, here's the first disaster, you know, uh, uh, which is Act 1. Yeah, Act 1 always ends with a disaster. And here's the second disaster. That's the midpoint moment that Jim Bell likes to talk about. Here's the third disaster. That's what forces the, the, you know, all the characters to commit to an ending. And here's the final ending. Okay, That's five sentences. And so if you've got an editor or an agent and you're sitting at a writer's conference and you and you've given them your one-sentence summary, and they say the magic words, tell me more. Now you, you trot out this paragraph, and you say, yeah. okay, let me tell you the three-act structure. Or maybe you, you, you look into their eyes and discover and, and realize they are not three-act structure kind of people, so you just <laughs> trot out the sentence. <laughs> you, you, you trot out this paragraph, and they go, okay, I get it. That's a good story. It's got a beginning. It's got a middle. It's got an end. I can see the the. I, I can see this as a movie. Yeah. T- now, now tell me more. Okay. You don't continue at that point, telling them about the plot. The, the, the snowflake method is not about, you know, coming up with a plot. It's about coming up with a story. Right? A story is not just plot. You know, plot is like the left leg of your. Uh, of your cat, but you got a right leg, you know, a, a right hind leg, and a you know, a couple of front legs. So the story is more than just plot. So the third step in the snowflake method is developing uh, your characters, or at least spelling out who your characters are. So you typically you need a protagonist, right? And uh-huh. you may have a a love interest. You may have a villain. You may have a sidekick. You may have the village clown. Uh, there's there's a bunch of different sort of archetypal. Is that a word? Archi- ar- ar- archetypical, <laughs> <Or> maybe <laughs> um, characters um, uh, who go into a story, 
And you don't even have to really know their names. It's a good idea to figure it out at some point. But you know that i got a hero, and this is his story. This is what he wants. uh, This is abstractly what he wants and concretely what he thinks, uh, how he thinks he's going to achieve that. Uh, And here's the villain, and here's what he wants. And here's uh, his abstract goal, and here's his concrete goal to prevent the... um, the protagonist from reaching his goal. And here's the love interest, and here's what he or she wants, and here's the village clown, and here's what he or she wants. Now, if you just go through this exercise and give you know, each of your characters, your main characters, you know, an hour of time and maybe one page to sketch this stuff out, you cannot help but have reasonably well-rounded characters. And maybe you've got five or six major characters in your story. That's typical for for a novel. Um, at the end of the five or six hours of you know of time that you put into this, you'll have not only a, a reasonably well structured plot, but characters who organically fit into that plot. The characters and the plot really need to be built up together. That's that's kind of the way the the whole snowflake works. Yeah, uh, is to do a little work on the plot, do a little work on the characters, go back to the plot, go back to the characters, and just uh, build it up until you've got um, uh, you know a complete story sort of uh, fleshed out in your mind. Not the scenes. You don't want to necessarily write the scenes. That that's the first draft. So the snowflake method is all about what you do before you sit down to write the first draft. And for me. The snowflake method enables me to write the first draft. I cannot write a first draft without some sort of a plan. Now, there are, of course, novelists, many novelists, some of them you may have heard of, like Stephen King, you know, who, who are seat-of-the-pants writers who don't want to plan at all. They just sit down and start typing. And that's perfectly valid. That's a great way to write a story. I think you are a, a seat-of-the-pants writer, right, Stephen? I'm, yeah, I'm completely organic. I usually yeah. don't use that term, seat-of-the-pants. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, I am uh, totally organic. And I, so I'm fascinated in you know, your, your approach um, because I do speak to a lot of different novelists over the years here on a story blender. And some you know, tend to outline, some tend yeah. to write you know, more organically. Yeah. And... Um, the biggest question that I have that I can't help but wonder about is, how would you know what your story's about until after it's written? In other words, <laughs> well, <laughs> it's like okay. it's completely the opposite for me. Like, I won't know what my logline is or what the flow of the story is until after it's written. And so yeah. okay. I sit here and I say, I don't even know how I could come up with that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, here's some advice for you. This is excellent advice, probably the best advice you're going to get all day. Don't <laughs> okay. use the snowflake method. It's not for you. Okay. <laughs> if, if you are the sort of person who would ask that question, yeah. you don't want to be a snowflaker. And I've seen this happen a few times. So my, you know, I, I give a talk at a writer's group or something, and, and uh, one of my um, seat of the pantser friends says, oh, man, that sounds really good. I'm going to do my next book that way. And yeah. they come back to me like five months later, and they go, Uh-oh. I am stuck. This is not working for me. I had to ask for an extension on my contract. And, <laughs> and I don't, please don't do it. Don't do that to yourself. If your brain is not wired for the snowflake, don't use it. You'll hurt yourself. <laughs> You'll but, hurt yourself. Okay. But uh, conversely, if your brain is wired for the snowflake, if you're sitting here going, yeah, okay, that makes sense. I feel like this gives me hope. Then do use the snowflake. Don't try to write by the seat of your pants. Plan things out because that's the way your brain is wired. We're, we're all different, right? You know, and, and Robert Ludlum used to write like 100-page outlines for a 500-page book. Yeah. And to me, that's like, oh, man, that is torture. That is, would be supreme torture. I'd rather eat crushed glass <laughs> uh, without ketchup, you know. Without ketchup. Yeah, oh, that, that, that changes you know, everything then. <laughs> you know, fate worse than death. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, 
Yeah. yeah, so, okay, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so what I was going to say, to, just to, to, to answer your question, is you know, I, can't, I can't write a novel without having some idea of where I'm going. It, it's kind of like, for me, if I'm going to go on a trip, I want to know what's the destination, okay? Is this a trip to New York? Or is this a trip to Israel? Or are we going to you know, Cambodia? Where are we going? Okay. Now, some people like to just get on the get in the car and drive, and say, let's let's go wherever we feel like. We'll we'll drive where the spirit moves us, and that is a great vacation for them. That's not a great vacation for me. <laughs> I want to know where am I going? Uh, what am I going to see? Am I going to fly? Am I going to take a train? Am I going to ride my bike? Uh, I want to know what to pack with me. So, um, you know, different people are different. <laughs> this is no big surprise. But for me, I have to have some sort of a plan, but it doesn't have to be an extremely detailed plan. So I'm not going to go write a 100-page outline. That's just, I, I, I'd, I'd be dying on that. Um, like, you know, Robert Ludlum. But he thrived on that. He loved that, Right. Um, for me, I want to get it ultimately down to a list of scenes. So it's like step eight in the snowflake method uh -huh. is to produce a list of scenes. And, you know, I used to do this in like just a spreadsheet. I'd make a spreadsheet and I'd just start typing. You know, scene one is, is row one of the spreadsheet. And i just say in one sentence, here's what happens in this scene. And um, here's what in the next row, here's what happens in scene two. Now, of course, I couldn't do that from scratch. I have to work through the first seven steps of the snowflake to get to the point where I can produce that, that spreadsheet, that list yeah. of scenes. But, but when I've got that done, um, and I, you know, step nine is sort of fleshing out each of those scenes a little bit so I know, is it a proactive scene? Is it a reactive scene? You know, roughly what's going to, how do things play in, in this scene? Who's the point of view character? Then I'm ready to write the novel. And so, you know, I'll have my spreadsheet with you know, some extra notes on how each scene is going to play out, and then I'll just start typing the first draft. Now, this is the really in important point. I don't ever feel like that, snow, that uh, you know, all the snowflake preparation stuff that I've done, the, the scene list or the characters, I don't feel like that is the final word that defines the story. Uh -huh. What defines the story is the story. You know, when I sit down typing, everything's going to change. But it doesn't matter because I needed, I needed that preparation just to be able to type the first sentence, and I'll write the first scene and... Maybe that'll be exactly on track with the story, but ten scenes in, I might actually have started diverging, and I may have to, you know, add a, a scene or two to my spreadsheet. And by the time I get to the one-quarter mark in the story, I'm realizing this is going in a pretty different direction than I planned. That's fine. I just changed the plan. <laughs> Literally at the, you know, it's like the end of the first period in a football game, you you, you know, the teams change, uh, change directions that they're going on the field. I re-snowflake the story. I take a day and I just go, okay, I understand the, the one-line summary better. I understand the one-paragraph summary better. I understand my characters. Maybe I even added a new character or changed the gender of one of the characters. Yeah. I don't care. You know, it's just a stepping stone to get there. So I'll just re-snowflake everything and then start writing again, and I'll write part two. You know, now, Randy, when you're... Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. At least the, the second quarter of the story. Yeah. Now, when you're working through, how do you know that your story maybe needs to or wants to or is tugging you to go into a new direction? Um and how do you, as you write, how do you respond to that? Um, because I think okay. that is true that a lot of people will feel that, and they might say, but this doesn't fit in with, you know, my plot outline, or I don't know if I should leave the outline or the, you know, the snowflake or whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, when you go outside and the trees are changing color and it's like, you're, you're, you're 
Japanese maple out in the yard. I'm looking out my window right now. It's starting to turn red, and you look at that, and you say, wow, that's beautiful. How do you know that's beautiful? I don't know. You just know. You have this inner sense that that's, that's a beautiful tree. And when I'm writing, I think the same way probably you do, when you're writing and you, you type out a scene and you go, yeah, that works. That's, that's resonating with me. That's giving me a, a powerful emotional experience. Um, uh, and hopefully it will for my target audience, too. But at least it's working for me. That's how I know. And it's, it's, it's not rational at all. I don't pretend yeah. it's rational. Writing is partly rational and partly um, super rational. Right? It's, it's, it's some emotive response to the words that you typed. Uh, yeah, tapping into the subconscious, I guess, yeah. if you believe in that. or Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, 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 don't, I don't know how it works. I don't actually know very well how my car works, but I, I know that I can drive <laughs> Right. So there, there is a sense, even with your approach, of really trying to be responsive to the story as it unfolds. Um, it sounds like to me. Yeah. A- absolutely. When I sit down to write the scene, you know, I may, you know, I, I may be all geared up for my snowflake to know exactly where I think the scene is going. But I'll start typing, and I may very well diverge from that, uh, sometimes radically. So in that sense... When I'm actually writing the scene, I'm a seat of the pants writer. There's no shame in that. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> I don't have to convince you of that. So, you know, some people want to turn this into a religious war or something. Yeah, I, yeah I've heard, yeah. and I think you and I have discussed people who make it almost a religious war about you know, <laughs> that your process has to rule. Your process, uh, yeah. No, your process is just a way to to get into the the the, the mindset to to get into the story to inject yeah. your 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 soul into the story so that you're actually inhabiting a, a new universe, you know, which you're creating. You know, you are the god of of your story world. You're creating it completely. You have total freedom to do whatever you want. And you're not bound by some stinking snowflake document or <laughs> outline or synopsis or a, yeah. a bunch of rules or, you know, uh, you're just not. At least now, I, I don't feel like I can write that way. Yeah, no, I, uh, yeah, I appreciate that. Um, I was wondering, are there certain genres that the snowflake method approach tends to work really well with and others that maybe, maybe it isn't? as close of a good fit, or doesn't it, doesn't it really matter on the genre you're writing in? You know, I get emails from people all the time, and as far as I can tell, the snowflake works for every genre you can imagine. Yeah. Um, it just it has to work for... It's the way that the, the writer's brain is, is geared. But, you know, uh, you, you might think that, okay, romance writers, they've got to be all geared into their emotions and they would totally reject this method. Well, no. You know, I was invited a few years ago to teach at the um, uh, Romance Writers of New Zealand. Oh, wow. Fun. So I was like the only guy there. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I was feeling a little intimidated, like, wow, I'm in a total estrogen bath here. But, you know, uh, I, I, I spoke for, I don't know, I think eight or nine or ten hours at that, that conference. But they, they, they lapped it up. Some of them were really into the snowflake, and some of them weren't. Yeah. You know, and, and so, you know, it works. Some romance writers love it. Some don't. Yeah, same with mystery. Same with suspense. Same with, you know, fantasy. I could find you a writer, many writers in every genre who are pantsers, who are outliners who are snowflakers, everything in between. I was also wondering, as I looked over your um, information online, uh, Randy, about, um, I know that you've published both with traditional publishers and also done some indie or self-publishing, um, and that's a, that's a unique perspective. A lot of people tend to be in one camp or the other, or one, one place or the other. Were there any lessons that you learned um, in maybe self-publishing or the traditional publishing that might be beneficial for people to pass on to them. Yes, yes. Uh, the one thing that matters most is quality. Mm, yeah. Okay. Now, how do we define quality? 
quality is everything in in writing fiction is about your target audience. There is some group of people you are writing for, some set of emotional hot buttons that that they respond to and that you want to push. Okay, suspense writers are highly emotive people, right? But they so are romance readers, but they're responding to different emotive hot buttons. The things that get a, a suspense reader's um, juices flowing, their their pulse uh, jumping are different than for romance writers. And of course, there's romantic suspense who are sort of a blend between those. But all that you care about is how well are you you uh, writing in the eyes of your target audience. And that's when I talk about quality, that's what I mean. Quality yeah. means writing stuff that will delight your target audience. And you can never you can never max that out. You can always improve your quality. You can always get better. So yeah, the key great. thing is don't try to publish too soon. So as I mentioned, it took me like was it, 10 or 12 years from the day I started typing to the day I saw my first novel on the shelf of a bookstore. That's yeah. a long time. What was I doing there? You know, I, uh, well, I was you know, earning a living, <laughs> feeding my family, <laughs> you know, getting the oil changed on the car. But I was also learning. Every year I was learning new stuff. And, you know, I remember I'd been going to conferences for like nine years, and I was really discouraged. And I went to a conference and uh, took the major track in fiction, and I learned one new thing, just one new thing. But that was the thing that put me over the top. That was the last thing that I really hadn't mastered well enough to be a publishable uh, author. And when I got that one last thing, um, suddenly my books were hanging together better, and I, was, I got interested, and I, I sold, sold my novel. So here's the thing. Quality matters. That's the answer to your question. Whether you're an indie author or whether you are uh, working with um, traditional publishers, quality matters, so focus on learning your craft. When you have excellent craft, it's easy to get the connections you need. You need an agent. You need a, an a editor who believes in you. It's easy to find an agent when you're writing excellent, excellent quality material. That's a good answer, and um, I have to I have to follow up though and ask what was that final key, that final thing that allowed you to, you know, finish your books and pull it all together. I know okay. I was listening to you and I was like, okay, now I have to ask about that. <laughs> I didn't even realize I'd set that up, but I guess I did. <laughs> okay, it was the notion of uh, really spending some time defining who your characters are. And you know, so people call it different things. Um, a lot of people call it, uh, you know, writing a character bible, uh-huh. uh, meaning here's who my character is, here's where they live, this is a description of their house, this is the kind of of house they live in, this is what they have in their wallet, this is um, yeah, their religious views, their political views, their socioeconomic status, you know, all that sort of stuff, which um, I had never really thought much about that. But but I realized that, yeah, I need to know my characters better because here's the very odd thing about most of my characters. They're not me. Yeah. Okay. Imagine now, that. They're going to get a little bit of DNA from me. I think all of my characters, especially the villains, get, get a <laughs> chunk villains. of me. But they're also, they're, they're also very, very different from me in a lot of ways. So I need to understand them. I need to take the time to understand why would they do this thing which I would never do. <laughs> Why would they do that? Okay? And the only way to understand them is to um, write it down. And one, one method that I found works uh, very well for me is to interview my characters. Just okay, tell us how that works. Me. You know, so, uh, you know, ask them, well, what, 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 how do you see yourself? How do you see yourself as a person? Yeah. Well, you know... I'm an unsung hero. Oh, really? Tell me about that. What's the hero part, and why are you unsung? You know, and then then just go from there. And you know who is the master at this? Who's that? Is, uh, Susie May Warren. You know Susie, right? Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, Susie May Warren. She has this great book called The Story Equation. 
And I, I read the whole book looking for the equation, you know, because I'm a math kind of guy. And <laughs> sure. There was, there was no equation in there. I don't know why she calls it the story equation, but that's a brilliant book. And yeah. she, she, she's uh, very much not Randy. I love Susie. She's, she's a great person, but she thinks very differently than me. And, and so learning from her, learning how she puts together her stories, her, her characters, you know, and they have this, this uh, dark moment in their past and, and stuff, that has been very helpful to me. Uh, uh, now, I didn't learn that 20 years ago. I learned that maybe three years ago. Sure. But w- what I... Uh, uh, learned when was it? Late '90s, I think. Yeah, it's been like 20 years. Uh, that, that sort of put me over the top was just to sit down and and really think about my characters and who they are and what they want and why they want it. You know, what is it in their life that causes them to to want you know this thing, to want to be this kind of a person, to want to achieve this. Right. So a story goal is usually something that you want to have or something that you want to do or something that you want to be. Uh, and why is it that they want that? Or why, is it, why, why do they want to have it or do that or be that? Uh, and, and that often goes back to their childhood. And you just need to sort of... Um, um, Look at their backstory back like that? Yeah, go back there with them. Now, that is for you. That is not for your reader. To, to see, yeah, it's like the iceberg. <laughs> You're never going to show your reader 80 or 90% of all that work that you do there. Um, uh, they're only going to see, you know, the top 10% that, that turns yeah. out to be what they need to know. But you need to know it. Now, Randy, does um, at what point do, does the, um, the character Bible or history or whatever you want to call it, at what point for you is that the most helpful? Early on, in the middle of a project, later on, before you even start, where does that tend to okay. help you well, the most? You know, since I'm a planner, I like to do that in the initial snowflaking process. So that is actually uh, step seven. Oh, okay. Snowflake. So you know, I've got step one and step two. We've already talked about step three is just sort of an initial first cut at characters. Uh, step four is like a synopsis. And then step five is uh, more about the characters, uh, sort of synopsizing each of their stories. Uh, step six would be a long synopsis, but then step seven is the character Bible. And it, here's where I really, I've, I think it's very important to drill deep. So I do that early on. Now, yeah. you may find that you want to you know, discover your characters in the story, but you still need to somewhere have written down, well, does Joe have blue eyes or are they gray or were they green? You know, because they can't be blue on page 10 and green on page 200. Right. That's a bad thing. Just for consistency, um, even if you're a seat-of-the-pants writer, you really need to at some point uh, put down some of those details. Because, And I've had this happen to me the, the last night before the, the manuscript is due for final edits. <laughs> Uh, uh, and I'm, I'm looking for, I, I realize, oh, there's some, something I never wrote down anywhere, you know, because uh, uh, my story evolved, and I forgot to put it into the character Bible, and then I'm, uh-huh. I'm doing a search, you know, a, a search to find out where did I write, you know, what happened to Dylan when he was 10 years old. I know it's somewhere. <laughs> I can't find it. Yeah. <laughs> and I, so... Anyway, uh, no, so that's good. And all of the steps, though, for the Snowflake method and the information about how to order your book on it, and I believe you even have software that will help lead yeah. people through. What's the website? What's the best landing page for people to go to who are saying, I want to find out more about this? Okay, well, I have a website, advancedfictionwriting.com. Uh, or if you can't remember all those words, uh, just Google Snowflake method. Um, because I'm it'll come a snowflake up. guy. Yeah, it comes up on Google. But advancedfictionwriting.com is where I have, um, you know, it's sort of the, the ground is central for everything that I teach yeah. on how to write fiction, my snowflake, you know, writing the perfect scene, all that sort of thing. And we can, people can sign up for your newsletter as well on there. It's a free, right. free e-zine that um, right. takes people through, you know, more in-depth right. techniques. That's great, yeah. 
Well, good. Anything else you want to share with folks here before we close up in a minute? I've really enjoyed listening to your, you know, your approach. And, um, like, I, I appreciate, too, what you said. It, you know, it's helpful for a lot of people. It might not be for everybody, but it's worth looking into. Yeah. Okay. If there's one thing I would say to anyone who wants to write, you know, a story, a novel, a screenplay, whatever, it's um, you follow your own vision. You know, don't, if, for example, you're a physicist, don't believe people when they say, well, then you must be a science fiction writer. Maybe you're not. Right. Whatever your vision is for the kind of story you want to write, just, just follow that. It might be a crazy vision, or it might not, but you'll never find out unless you follow it. If you spend your life following other people's vision for your life, living other people's adventure, you may come to the end of your life and realize that you never went on your own adventure. Mm. That would be a bummer. That would be a bummer, but it's a good word of advice to end with because if you find your own adventure, if you, if you do pursue that, there will be a certain authenticity, I think, to everything you write. Right. I think you have your best chance of success by really being authentic, being yourself, following your vision and not somebody else's. Excellent. That's a great place to end up and close up. And so, Randy, uh, it's been great having you on the show here. I've um, really enjoyed the conversation, and uh, I know people so will benefit from me. it. Yeah, yeah. And we want we want our listeners to go and click on to uh, your website and to Google the Snowflake Method and to find out, you know, to order your book and to check out your other products. Um, my um, my website is stephenjames.net. You can find all of my information about my books there. My new book, Synapse, is now just released, so you can check that out if you're interested in uh, near-future thrillers. For more information about our other guests and to check out other broadcasts, click to thestoryblender.com. And always remember, the art of the story is all in the blend. We'll see you next time.